When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We've got an England squad with a couple of new faces in it to talk about this morning. Sandpapergate is back in the news. There's been another rain-affected round in the Championship and there's a new Wisdom Cricket Monthly out this week. I'm Yaz Ryder and today I'm joined by Wisdom Cricket Monthly Editor-in-Chief Phil Walker, Wisdom Cricket Monthly Magazine Editor Joe Harmon and former England batsman Mark Butcher. First off, we've got our first test squad of the summer. I think there were a grand total of zero surprises in it, pretty much as we've predicted over the last month or so. Ollie Robinson and James Bracey, who have both spent much of the last year in various bubbles with a test group, are the only uncapped players in the 15-man squad. There's a recall for Craig Overton, and every fit player who played in the IPL has been rested. Butch, I'll go to you first, because you talked about the possibility of the IPL lot not playing on last week's show. The press release mm. that accompanied the squad announcement read, multi-format players, Moeen Ali, Johnny Bairstow, Josh Butler, Sam Curran and Chris Wokes are rested after completing a quarantine period following the cancellation of the IPL earlier this month. They will spend some time resting before joining up with their respective counties in due course. What do you reckon? Well, I think it's a bit of a red herring to sort of talk about the, the quarantine period at the back end because the IPL wouldn't be finished yet. And therefore, what that tells me is that there was, there was never any chance that those guys would play. You know, the, the, the chances are they would have had to have had quarantine at the back end if they, if, you know, they got through to the, the, the playoffs anyway. Um, and so, f- to me, the intention was that th- those guys were never, were never seriously being considered to play. Um, which, again, is understandable for, for lots of reasons, but it also sort of begs the question, um, you know, is, is our certain test series now being um, rated as second class? And what does that say for the international game? What does that say for the value of a test cap? All of which I have a, a, a big issue with. I mean, well... I mean- not as any series, series against the number one and two ranked yeah. sides in the world. England, at the end of this series, will be eight tests into their year. Uh, and arguably only w- for one of those tests have they been anywhere near full strength. Mm. Well, what, yeah, I mean, well, I, <laughs> what do you want me to say to that? What do you think can, can change about it? We've had quite a few questions about this. Um, what, one, of the, one of them um, from, from Kieran was, given that England are hosting two of the best test nations this summer, and this has been described as Ashes preparation by Silverwood. What well, more can Test cricket do to add a, importance a, to non-Ashes games for England? The World Test Championship might be a start, but but why not a World Cup? I mean, these a, are the number one or two ranked in the world. The from Chris Silverwood, he should never ever have said that. And, Although he said and, it a few times. Well, a bit, but it's this but it's not true, is it? Well, the Ashes preparation. Yeah, it's in the press the release. Matches. It was in the press release. Well, okay, I'm telling you what I think. The Test matches they count hugely. Well, a, lot of, a lot of a lot of lot of players, a lot of fans, for example, won't won't be going to the Ashes. In normal circumstances, a lot of fans won't be going to the Ashes. So the, the home Test matches for England are are the thing. So I, I, that's nonsense. And look, you know the, the the IPL, as always, as it always has been, is a choice 
that players make to either go or not go. And yes, there are certain circumstances in which the boards will say, it's a damn good idea that some of our players go. And I've always backed, I'd always backed the Peterson view of the whole thing that if you were going to, you know, if you take your white ball cricket particularly seriously, then you want to have a taste of, of the best um, tournament with the best players at some point in your career. However, if you're making that choice knowing that it's going to cost you test matches, then, you've, then, then you're, you're, you're taking a very, very tricky path, a dodgy path, not only for the game itself, but also for your own career. And I, and I, I have a problem with it. And I think that a lot of fans will have a problem with it too. And yet you have to understand that I'm not coming from this from the point of view that the IPL you know, is a disgrace and it shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be getting in the way. I love the IPL. I think it's brilliant. I think it's done extraordinary things for the game. However, individual players have individual choices to make about how the IPL impacts their bread and butter, which is playing international cricket for so, England. So do you think that the England IPL players, so Chris Woke, Sam Curry and Joss Butler, should have basically said, we want to play the series? I don't want to be rested. I think they should they should be available, yes. And then it's up to the the board as to whether or not they select them. But I I I, I can't I because it's very very dangerous. It's an incredibly slippery slope. If you get to a point where whereby the calendar is as crowded as it is and it and nothing seems to be ever done about that. It's just more and more and more and more cricket. And that if players now know that the that going forward they will able be able to make the decision to play in tournaments elsewhere and put themselves out of contention to be selected for for England test matches particularly home test matches I'm not happy I think it's worth just reading out what Chris Silverwood said in not in the press conference in the press release that accompanied the squad announcement this is his second sentence in the press release playing the top two teams in the world in New Zealand and India is perfect preparation for us as we continue to improve and progress towards an Ashes series in Australia at the back end of the year. Um, Phil or Joe, do you have anything to, to well, add to that? I was just going to say that's not new. Silver's been saying this since he since he took the role and I think he's done a really good job so far but I do think he's this is a very dangerous game he's playing by constantly talking about this whole thing building towards the ashes which is a series that England might well lose. Um, England could beat the two best sides in the test rankings at home this summer. That would be great. They might still do it with a slightly weakened side but to, to say this is all to do with the Ashes, I mean, that means if they win these two this summer, but then lose the Ashes, in theory that they've failed in their mission because this was all preparation for the Ashes. Deal with each series as its own thing. We've got two really exciting series against two high-quality opposition. They are things in their own right that England should try and win. Then we can worry about the Ashes and who should go on that tour at the end of these series. This has always been my argument about the, the idea that Test Match Cricket needs context in some way, right? The idea that a World Test Championship would suddenly make um, test matches more um, interesting, more accessible, more exciting. Um, they don't. Every test match, to me as a player and, and as somebody who watches test match cricket, every test match is an individual event in, its, in and of itself. And therefore, these two series against New Zealand and India, not only are they the two best sides in the world, but they are seven events, seven individual events for which you would want if you're an England fan, to see the very best team that England could put out on the field, defending the honour of England in Test Match Cricket, a record that they have at home is, is absolutely astonishing, um, you know, and going out there all guns blazing to win them. And as Joe says, they may, they may very well win those two series because England don't lose a Test Match series at home. However, to talk about it in terms of it being some sort of net session for the Ashes is 
bizarre. Yeah, and I, there's a lot in that, and it's been echoed by by many others as well. I remember I, I interviewed Ponting about this years ago with regards to the World Test Championship, which was still as ever in gestation at the time, and he said the same thing as Butch that. A, te- a memorable test match can spring up from nowhere and, and it's it's a self-contained event in and of itself. And okay, there is a broader narrative to it if it's part of a series, of course. But if you we can go back to certain great test matches and not really remember the series score, but we remember those five days and, what, and, and the stories that evolved from there. So there is a lot in that. Um, I would just add, and this is, not to, this is not to denigrate what's coming up in a couple of weeks' time at Laws, which will be a huge moment for the fans primarily. Uh, but the, the the two tests against New Zealand are peculiar test matches because New Zealand are bringing a team over here and they will, they will want to win those games and they'll want to compete in those games, but they have a huge game the following week. And from their point of view, it's, it's probably the first time I can remember an occasion when a team will be coming over to England to play a test match and their primary focus won't be playing England. It'll be, it'll be playing another team in England the following week. Now, that's not in any way to kind of undercut your point, but and, 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 and there is no, no justification for not picking your strongest side against India. And I said that two or three months ago, and that still sticks in the craw. And if we see any of this kind but, of jostling don't in forget, a month's time, then that's, that's disgraceful, of course. Don't forget, we're, a home, we're the home team. Sure, you know, it's different. Sure. But the travelling sides, they can do what they want. You know, they can come over here and, and, and decide to, to go shopping at, in yep. Knightsbridge for, for two months for all I care. It doesn't matter. What I care about is what the England team are. Yeah, no, fair. Um, from the ECB's perspective, uh, the, the cat is out the bag, obviously, with the IPL. Uh, and they are now full square behind it, as are their um, kind of broadcasting rights holders and so on. The BBC now cover it, as well as, as Sky and so on. So they are the, the establishment position is now fully behind the IPL. Uh, and that obviously extends to the players. I'm not sure what they can do with regards to challenging the players to make that decision. I don't know. And, and I just don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is there. But but now the ECB's position is go and play, go and play. Johnny, go and play. Joss, go and play. Joffre, go and play. It's the greatest tournament in the world. When the calendar falls, as it often does inconveniently for the ECB, I don't know what recourse they have. I, what can you say? Well, on the one hand, we want you to go and play, but on the other, if you do go and play and then it impinges on test match selection, then what, you're, you're not available for the whole of that upcoming, subsequent test series or what? I mean, it's very yeah, difficult. But, we're, difficult ta- but we're talking about, I mean, we're t- potentially here, we're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, Loads. seven choice, Loads. first choice players. Yeah. It's, it's unprecedented for a, a home test match, the first home test match to be to be impacted by this thing. This is the first, but it will happen again. The first test match of a summer is later now than it's ever been, in, in as much as it comes out in June, the first test of a seven-test summer. But normally it would be in May, which eats into, into the IPL even further, and it's only going to be a matter of time before the England players are in the, in the final for Rajasthan or whoever but, it is, but, and, but and an agreement to, will, be, will be reached. But what used to happen would be that They'd players would go and they were with the, on the proviso that they would be back by a certain date because they get the, you know because they're preparing for the English summer. And there was there's never there, been there a, wasn't happening. But there's not one. been a problem with that. Yeah. Now now this time it wasn't this time they're not they're not even they're not even playing. And I know and I, again don't at me with you know oh yeah well they've been in a bubble they're not ready to go. I know that. But the facts of the matter are, even had had the tournament not been postponed, they would still be there. 
Indeed. And they wouldn't be playing. So at no point had had at no point they you might make this make this call now and say, Oh, you know, well, it's because of the bubbles and all this kind of stuff. They were never going to be playing in this series. Yeah. This decision had been taken a long, long time ago, and I have a problem with that. Yep, so do I. I think it's quite interesting from an Australian point of view. Mitchell Stark's one of, if not the best, white ball bowler in the world. He's not playing the IPL for various reasons for a very, very long time. I almost think with the Kevin Peters an argument is you get to a certain level as a player where you don't need the IPL. If you've got IPL experience, uh, do you actually need your very best players to play in the IPL? Going back to Kieran's question, what do you think can be done to give place more importance on individual test matches? Well, the obvious answer is is the WTC, isn't it? Mm. Um, which has been stillborn for obvious reasons. Um, these two test matches coming up against New Zealand are not part of it because New Zealand are preparing for the final of it. But then when the it begins again and the cycle uh, starts again from the start of the India series, points towards the next the next run, and then and then uh, hopefully, arguably, possibly spuriously but we hope that it will inject a little bit more context to it but but the 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 broader point about the 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 overwhelming power of 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 an ashes series well we reap what we sow because the hype around it for the last 20 years or so has especially since 05 has just been through the roof and so much of sport now is 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 content generation and it is presenting something that feels like the be-all and end-all. It's appointment to view. You can't miss it. And as a consequence, the, the money is ramped up as well. And that has fed into, I think, the 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 England players' psyche. I can't speak for Australian players, but certainly among, among, among England players. You know, Joe Met said, well, Silverwood's it's not the first time he said this stuff. Well, he, he's not alone either. When, when Root got the job, I was at the press conference when Root got the job and, and he, he was explicit about it. You know, that we will be judged by Australia test matches. Um, this is, I think it's in part a consequence of, of the time, really. It was interesting when we were doing a show that, a few weeks ago, when you were saying, when you were growing up, it was the West Indies that you'd yeah. mark yourself against. But, the, but that's not, but that's, that hasn't changed. That's never changed. You know, people, people's jobs are always on the line when it, every time an Ashes series comes around. That hasn't changed. What has changed, as far as I can tell, is that you would dismiss test matches at home. Now, now don't forget, <laughs> even with the advent of, of satellite television, the fact that you can now watch Test Match series abroad, which prior to 1990 you couldn't do, right? Even with the advent of, of package tours and people being able to travel in their thousands to go and watch an Ashes series, okay, which probably won't be happening this time, there is still a fraction of the amount of people that are able to watch these games live or be interested in staying up until six o'clock in the morning to watch these games, then there are watching the test matches that happen at home. You're, as, as, a, as, a, as a board, as a, as a cricketing nation, your home series is your shop window. It always is. Sure. doesn't matter who it's against. Sure. Because you know what it's like. You, we, we work in the cricket, okay? So if we're at home and we're not in Australia, if we're not lucky enough to be out there, you're kind of obliged to sit up and watch it. Mm-hmm. But if you're a, a fan, England lose the toss at, at Brisbane or whatever, and, and you know, <laughs> or win the toss at Brisbane and, and do the wrong thing. England seven down by bloody midnight, everyone goes to bed. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not something that's, that keeps people captured yep. in terms of their interest if England start to do badly on an Aussie tour because it's miles away and it's at the wrong time of night. Sure. But when you're playing at home, you're in front of everybody. This is the audience. Mm-hmm. I get that. But the the Ashes 
is 50% one country and 50% the other. And I think that the overall mood around it applies even, even in the English summer as well. Uh, it is disproportionately covered and disproportionately respected. But then I also happen to feel that the way that people attach themselves to it in terms of sporting allegiance and the jeopardy of winning and losing and how that affects your mood that night, the morning after... I think English cricket fans, the majority of them, they, they always want the England side to win. But if, if, if the West Indies do them by four wickets as they did at Southampton last year, or if Pakistan turn them over in a great test match, that, a ding-dong test match, then I think a large number of England fans are okay with that. I don't think they wake up the following morning and their and their coffee tastes off. But when you get beat by Australia, but we can't deny it, can no, we? No, but can't deny it. But don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying that the, that it isn't important. All I'm saying is, is that it's not important to the absolute exclusion of, of biffing off your home Test match series. And, That's and what in, I'm and saying. In that we are in sweet agreement. Right there we go. So stop arguing. With on me. on to the squad. It's <laughs> on to the squad itself. Uh, as I said, two new faces. One of whom is Ollie Robinson. Joe, you spoke to his Sussex skipper Ben Brown yesterday. Let us know what 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 should we expect from Oli Robson? His his numbers are, are truly absurd. Yeah, they're uh, a joke. He, he averages seventeen point six eight in the last five seasons, in which he's taken two hundred and seventeen wickets, which is which is decent. Yeah, you can see why he's, he's picked <laughs> yeah. certainly. Um, yeah, I spoke to Ben Brown. Actually, I was speaking to him about Sussex's youth policy, and then those kind of journalistic instincts kicked in. I thought well, maybe I should ask the captain <laughs> and wicketkeeper at Sussex about Oli Robinson, England's next Test debutant. And he was interesting. I've got I've got. A, a few quotes here. Um, he said he's the best Red Bull bowler I've kept to in a very, very long time. Uh, he said Steve McGoffin was probably the best uh, in terms of skills. Um, but Ollie Robinson's right up there. And obviously he's kept wickets Joffre Archer in that time, which is interesting. Uh, it's the kind of classic cliche, but he said over the last couple of years, he has put on that extra yard of pace to go with the bounce that he he's always got um, and the skills that he's always had. He said also that a lot of people might not know or, or kind of expect this of him, but he does incredible amounts of research into his into the batsman he's up against in county cricket. He knows all their techniques, all their weaknesses. In conclusion, hit the top of off. None of them like that. But, no. but he's also, one. But he's also building a reputation as someone who can get good batsmen out of flat wickets, which is obviously helpful. Well, this is it. And I think we... We saw that he did very well for the Lions in Australia, which certainly um, kind of boosted his reputation. Uh, and yeah, Ben Brown said batsmen at whatever level aren't going to enjoy facing him. He's not rapid. He's, he said 82, 84, maybe around kind of Stuart Broad's pace. But that height and those skills and that consistency, he thinks are going to cause problems for any batsman he comes up against in pretty much any conditions. Look, ben Brown's not going to say anything but that, I guess, at this stage. But the, the stats do support that. Uh, and as much as we can lament the fact that England haven't just picked their best side for this series, and I think we're all in agreement on that, it has provided opportunities. And you could argue that Ollie Robinson, even if you are picking your best side, Ollie Robinson deserves a shot anyway. Um, it is tricky because there are so many pace bowlers. Best side isn't available. Best side isn't not, available. Not, not picking. Best side's not available. Yeah. Phil, England normally have millions of all-rounders. They normally have too many of them, but Stokes injured... Sam Curran, Chris Works, Mo and Ali all unavailable. Are they? They now don't have any all-rounders. Um, England have not, they've opted not to choose uh, a, a, an all-rounder from county cricket. So the balance of the side is going to be different. Mm -hmm. uh, the last time England went into a test match without an all-rounder was? 
Oh, don't put me on the spot. I can I can't remember what happened yesterday. Brisbane twenty thirteen. So the test before right. Ben Stokes' debut, the right. one after Chris Wilkes' oh, debut. I was even out for that one. I was actually um, there. Yeah, should have got one, that one. Yeah. Well, got I that can't one. remember that. Um, so what, I was pick. I, I did pick Stokes for the Brisbane game. Oh, okay. Incidentally, yeah, it was laughed out of town. Anyway, Wonderful. By the by. Um, Let that one go. I reckon. Anyway. Sure. <laughs> Eight sure. years, but sure. <laughs> and anyway, how do you think England are going to get around their no all rounder problem? Uh, I think they might not play a spinner and just play four quicks and hope for the best. But that might be nonsense. I don't know. Um, uh, it's a tough call between Overton and Robinson. I think one of them will definitely play, possibly both, if they do go with four. Uh, there is a sameness, I suppose, to the attack. If you do play the, the, the two two icons and then those two as well, there is a sort of fast, medium-y, right-arm right over element to it. Uh, it's worked really well in Australia in the past. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, but you know they might prefer to go with a bit, a bit more pace, obviously. Uh, but it is tricky. You realise the power of Stokes when when you when you try and arrange these pieces into into a old school conventional setup: six batters, keeper, and then four four bowlers. Um, and there's a risk. Would Will Leach do much at Lord's first Test match of the series? Possibly, possibly not. It might depend on how the weather is for the next couple of weeks. It looks like it's going to be very rainy. Uh, so my instinct is that they might go in just with the four seamers and, and try and wangle a few out of Joe and, and, and Lawrence, who will probably play. My think, instinct, by the way, is I think that Bracey might not make the cut. He might be the batsman to, to miss out. I'm uh, pretty sure that's the case, isn't it? I think You think they'll go with four? Um, no, no, on the batsman. I, oh, think, right. I think Bracey is the spare batsman in that in that squad, unless Sibley's um, hand injury doesn't doesn't come good. On the no spin option, it's something that Silva was done before in the second Test match in New Zealand when he had Leach available, yeah. had Parkinson did it, available. They did it in the last Test match at the Wanderers in South Africa as well. Yeah, Played five quicks in so, that one. So it's something that he's shown that he's he's willing to do in the past. Yeah. I think on Overton versus Robinson. Um, just in the last year, Robinson's been closer to playing a test match than Overton has. Mm. Uh, Robinson went to Asia. I think, Robinson I think very Robinson, nearly played a test match I think last Robinson summer as well. Gets in if one of Anderson and Broad don't play, otherwise, if you're going to if you're going to leave out a spinner, which I'm loath to do, but anyway, let's say that let's say that we do that, um, then I would say it would be Anderson Broad, neither of whom are going to want to going to want to not play on a green one at Lords in, mm. in June, um, and you know. They bloody well deserve to play. I mean, they're the best we've got. Um, and then I would go Overton to bat right. eight. Um, and his his bowling is, is is equally miserly and good. It has been this this summer. Um, and as a batter, he's you know he's he's getting better all the time. So that will give England a little bit of depth. I know there was a question about England's sort of um, tail end returns, which have been pretty shocking of late. Although <laughs> although I would discount. <coughs> The runs that anybody scored in in India this winter in the Test matches, if for that matter. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's what was that? What did I say there? Overton. That means Robinson misses out, and then it would be one of Stone and Wood. And you know what? I was so impressed with Ollie Stone in the Test match that he played in Chennai that I would give him another go. It almost got forgotten. So didn't impressed it? In, in the context of that series, yeah. how good he was. I, like, I've seen Ollie Stone bowl a handful of times, I suppose, prior to that Test match. That opening spell was and something thought, else. You know, I thought, well, I mean, he's all right. I mean, he's got a bit of got a bit of pace and whatever, but I kind of just didn't, I wasn't really seeing what other people were seeing. Anyway, that first test in Chennai, or second, it was the second test, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, second test. He bowled absolute gas and held 
as good a line and length yeah. as, as Anderson or Broad would have done. I think so. I'm I'm kind of like I was blown away. I thought, wow, that's that's imp- that's really impressive. And so that would be my four. Yeah, I, I agree agree with you on Stone. I think we've got a real tendency in England to overhype the pace that fast bowlers bowl. Uh, anytime anyone you know breaches 87, we're like, oh, proper quick. But Stone was actually hitting like 90, 93 yeah, in that and, test match and hitting the top of off stump. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I personally, I would. Just go Wood by a nose over Stone, and just go Robinson by a nose over Overton. Mm. But it's it's yeah really close calls. Yeah, I, I I would probably go Stone over Wood, basically with the T Twenty World Cup in mind. I know it's a long way away, but I think Wood is so important to England's chance in that. And England, as we've talked about, have eight well, one, options. One thing, one thing to sort of it doesn't quite back up what you're saying, but it but it it makes sense to me is that England have kind of not fancied Mark Wood at home. And that might be harsh, but I think that they feel Red Bull wise that his particular brand of, 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 of hurry up is not as effective at home when you need to be a little bit more laser like in terms of your in terms of your line and length. I mean, away from home, I think he's bowled absolutely magnificently and you wouldn't swap him. There's also a lot of white ball cricket to come quite it soon. Pres- yeah, and exactly. and Joffre is not going to be part of that. So we well, know I'd, now. I'd, so I'd, I'd love to, really to see Ollie Stone well. get, get a go at home. In that, yeah. and, and you've got immense amounts of control around him as well um so but anyway that's just yeah personal preference. i think i think archer's injury concerns are he, he's actually injured for the series the right elbow is troubling him again and that's been a problem for quite a long time uh, i think that just makes the mark wood t20 world cup point even more important um on on the question about lower order runs uh, we had a, we had a few questions on this crickviz analyst ben jones asked is is a lack of runs from england's tail a concern what's he asking for he knows he's, he's, he's <laughs> one, one, 150 in silverwood's time as coach and the bowlers pick for this series don't immediately suggest things will change the one thing i would say on that is that overton and robinson both average well over 30 at the bat this year in the championship overton, overton particularly can bat um he, he strummed the 70 odd last week and took a load of wickets uh to he's comfortably the top of the mvp uh PCA Player of the Year so far, albeit shortish time. Uh, made a very good 49, I think it was, in Australia on those pitches as well from, again, number eight or nine. Uh, he can bat. He can bat. Uh, he's a, I think he's, he's a, he looks to me like a decent number eight at test level. Um, Whereas I think Robinson is a decent number eight at county level and is probably one position too high at eight in a, in a test team at the moment. Although Brown did say his batting has got a lot better over the last last year. But if that comes down to it, that, that might get Overton in above Robinson if, if they are a bit worried about the batting, which would be legitimate looking at, looking at that tail. Yeah, indeed. And it's also probably worth pointing out as well. It's likely, I think we're in agreement that Lawrence plays in the middle order. Pope will play in the middle order and then folks will probably almost certainly take the gloves unless they go left field and give the gloves to Bracey, which almost certainly isn't going to happen. That is a raw middle order. Roots at four. And then after that, there are rookie test players, albeit some good ones, potentially. And in Pope's case, almost now. But I think you need you need runs in, in the bottom order, especially a lower order, especially against New Zealand, you know, at Lords, because they will be swinging it all over the place. Mm. Absolutely. Um, we've had one or two questions about players left out of the squad. Um, one question was, what exactly does Matt Parkinson have to do to get picked? Who, want, who, wants, who wants to take that one? Claxon. <laughs> uh, I don't think we expected him to play in this test match. I mean, first of all, I would say Leach was probably England's best player in that tour of India. Uh, so it would be harsh, I think, for Parkinson to leapfrog Leach, even though we have seen Parkinson doing some kind of otherworldly things on on social media 
Um, look, I'd love to see Parkinson get a test match this summer, but then we're just back, back to where we started. How, how, if you want to pick your best team every time, is he England's best spinner for a test team at the moment in these conditions? It's it's hard. He's, he might he might stand a bit if he continues doing what he's he's been doing. He, he stands half a chance of getting a, a gig in in one or two of the test matches against India later in the summer. Yeah. Uh, I, I but can, but right now, playing. no. I mean, yeah, England aren't going to play two spinners. He's not going to play as a lone spin bowler. Um, and therefore, you know, we're, we're probably not even going to play a spinner in this first test. So it's just it's just pie in the sky. But but rest assured, um, Lancashire fan, I'm sure you you must be that um, that he's very much on the radar for sure. But it's just now is not the time. And I think we've it, said before on the shows that you kind of really want him to have one. Because he's not played that much first-class cricket despite being around a lot. You kind of had one season where he takes 50, 60 wickets behind him before he, he gets that first England test call. And yep. I think perhaps more personally, I, I mean, different colour ball, but I'd like to see him given a real proper run in, in the white ball stuff, which are coming up after this test series. Adarashi doesn't need to play every white ball game for England. We know he's probably the best leg spinner in the world. Uh, he's got a bit of a dodgy shoulder. He could, or you could even play potentially both of them. The conditions are, are right, but I think let's let's see plenty of Parkinson in the white ball. With a, that'd, that'd be, be fun, wouldn't it? I'd yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. The Aussies did that last winter. Um, uh, I echo that 100. percent And also, you've got to bear in mind, we'd love to see him play a red ball test match, but it has to be on merit. And where do you get those merit marks when the red ball stuff is over in what two weeks? And then it's all white ball cricket, and then there is one round of games in. July, early July, literally one week of four-day cricket in amongst all the rest of it. And then, obviously, your playoff stuff, your four games in, in September, which will be great for the top division. But how? But by that point, we'll be you know knee-deep in an India test series. So how does Parkinson, if he's only playing white ball cricket, put himself in the shop window and so on? Well, the, the answer possibly is you play a few games for England. You play a few games for England and, and you bowl... 10 over spells and you bowl four over spells in the short, silly stuff and you see where you get to. And if you can show, as Adil did, Adil got a test nod because he was excellent over 10 over spells with white ball, with the white ball in English conditions. You know, stuff Coley famously that time, you know, clean bowled him and so on. Um, that might be his only way through. And so I totally agree with Joe. Not only does his record stack up anyway with the white ball, but there is there is an additional point to be made there that that might be the way to to bed him into the whole setup mm. Phil what's your moment of the week oh, it's got to be the Bancroft nonsense isn't it really <laughs> sorry I shouldn't laugh um, alright it's all very serious this. oh very no no serious. no indeed, very indeed. Well, what, one of our questions was actually for, from Nick state, from Nick Scribbler no, he asks uh are you amused, disturbed, or bored with the latest sandpaper? All of revivals? it. Yeah, I was going to say all, <laughs> all of it. That's a great question, and the answer is is all of it. Amused primarily. Okay, here's here's the quote. So, as we know now, I think context. Guardian interview interview Donald McRae speaking to Bancroft in his Durham kit in the northeast, coming over here to play a bit of cricket. McRae, who's, who's past master at what he does, he he prodded him a bit more about Cape Town 2018, and Bancroft said quote and I got it here yeah look all I wanted to do was to be responsible and accountable for my own actions and part yeah obviously what I did benefits bowlers and the awareness around that probably is self-explanatory so it doesn't take a genius to unpick that that rather mealy-mouthed sentence he was clearly inferring that the bowlers at Cape Town were just as aware of what was going on um 
Uh, and the notion that it was just these three wrong-uns, these three bad apples, <laughs> uh, has been rather blow, blown out of the water. It didn't require an enormous leap of faith for us to assume that this was the case. But Bancroft now seems to have rather rammed that home. And it amuses me that something, just as an, as an aside really, it amuses me that something so commonplace, right, and so routine and long-standing a thing as scraping away at the ball surface and fiddling around with the seam a little bit to help bowlers on flat decks. And in this particular instance, performed so comically badly, slapstick bad, should continue to resurface and, and, and tilt again this listing moral compass of not just of Australian cricket, but of Australian life. I mean, this is a matter of state. As soon as the PM waded in first time round, this has become, uh, this goes right to the heart of Australian life. And it will not go away, will it? It's just extraordinary. Well, not as long Bancroft keeps giving interviews. Yeah, and, and this, this likeable fool guy fella, Bancroft, you know, and, and I do warm to him the more, the more I hear him talk. But when I first saw, saw that quote come up on social media that, that morning, I wondered if this was kind of a calculated move from a frustrated guy who's fed up that he's taken the fall for it. But I think he's just kind of let it slip. He's been undone by the best in the business. Don McRae's absolutely brilliant. And, and not in a cynical way. He's just very good at getting people to tell him stuff that they wouldn't necessarily tell them. I mean, that's what a great interviewer does. We might have managed to do it ourselves at one or, on one or two occasions over the years. But he does it every time. And Bancroft was kind of no match for him. But he really, he should just keep his head down. I mean... It, he wrote that letter to himself, which he then decided to publish in the Aussie press. Like, I mean, write a letter to yourself, but keep it to yourself. Then he invited Getty photographers to come along and take photos of him doing yoga to show how much it him kind of his new life. Now he's doing interviews with the, the biggest interviewer uh, in broadsheet journalism in this country. Just keep your head down, score some runs. And unless he wanted to go out with this and make it public and say it's not fair that I take all the blame I think that would probably be a fair enough thing to do but I don't get the impression that's yeah. what's happened here if, if you are Bancroft though and that is what happened you, you would be very frustrated that a number of people who were potentially involved kind of got away with it it's so worth so saying would... the bowlers have issued a statement saying they knew absolutely nothing yeah um, which which is nonsense of course of course but... which is not everybody see the thing is this whole thing was actually put to bed by by any you know anybody, the only reason that you would ever bring it up is to take the Mickey out of Australia when you know when they come over, the crowds will be singing songs out and stuff. But the only reason that this 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 keeps resurfacing is because it was so comically handled at the time. There was this moral indignation that saw players getting banned for a whole year and people crying on national television and all this crap. The the idea, the very idea that the team and the bowlers that nobody else had any idea that this 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 had happened that it had never happened before and that it was just an idea that popped up this afternoon that suddenly three people had some idea about and nobody else had. Everybody knew that was nonsense. Everybody knew it was nonsense that, that Steve Smith did not play international cricket for an entire year for something like this when the, when the sanction for, for a, 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 a discretion such as that was a three-match ban. You know, the whole, the whole... And this is all Australia's fault. Their sort of superiority in terms of the morals, their, their, their moral code, which is much more superior to anybody else's when it comes to anything to do with anything, um, is the reason why that they're in the state that they're in. And that's the reason why people are so gleeful whenever st stuff like this comes up. We're all happy to let it go. Who cares? But, but this is just too funny, too hilarious, too brilliant. And they're in the stew all over again. Um, superb. 
great yeah, moment. Just, just just the, the extra element, the, you know, the the grandees, the fading grandees, Gilchrist, Clark, etc. They all weighed in as well, saying it's implausible that the bowlers didn't know. And then it's all rounded off with with Tim Payne having to give another somber interview this time from I think his home in Hobart, saying it's just time we're all looking forward to moving on and i just 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 the perfect line to sum up this thing because it will never die will it they will keep regurgitating it you know good luck with that one what one thing they'd all just held their hands up at the time and gone i know Mm. yeah i guess that's caught rumbled but that but that is basically what the main issue is it's not that they tampered the ball it is that they then lied about it that that is the that was basically why they got a ban as long as long as it was, and you said something in, 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 in certain people's minds, but not saying the prime minister's mind. Yes. And in, in many yes. of the editorials around <laughs> Australia at the time, it was it was didn't being it, seen to be cheating. This is true. Didn't our PM get, get involved in that as well? Yes. Didn't yeah. Theresa May have, a, have something time. to say about it? Yeah. Quite, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, stuff, the stuff that they find time to worry about. But the, but the whole point about it is, is that every every team tries. To find to find some sort of an edge to make the ball do something when when nothing's happening, every single team does. And in order for you for a team to be successful at that on, on any level at any at any grade, people have to know it's happening. You have to know, the bowlers have to know. Everybody has to know because yeah. if you don't, you 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 can blow your cover inadvertently, and also you then can't take advantage of the advantage that you're trying to gain. Because somebody will put their hands on it or so, you know, something will go wrong in order to, to rubbish the thing that you've been doing to try to, to gain the advantage in the first place. It is utterly ludicrous that the people who are, who are charged with running up and propelling the missile had no idea what was happening to the missile. It's yeah. complete and utter well, it's rubbish. Like, I mean, Triscothic obviously came out after and spoke about in his book using Murray Mints in the 05 Ashes. That wasn't just Triscothic with some sweets in his pocket doing that all by himself. Obviously, the team needed <laughs> to know that. Otherwise, there's no point in Trez having his Murray Mints. Yeah. I, I don't know if this stays in or not, but England's one-day team from a while back, there was one particular person that the ball always went through before it ended up back at the bowler. And that was that happened for a number of number of months, years. And even if and even if there is nothing um, untoward about uh, untoward going on with the person who is getting the ball, the rest of the team has to know to give it to him, right? So they have to, you have to know something. You have to. Otherwise, you wouldn't throw it to him, would you? If nobody had, if nobody was in the loop, you'd be throwing it everywhere but the bloke who needed to get the ball. I mean, it's just it's hilarious. It's it's going to keep. Coming up every and now and again. Every though. time anyone's got a book to release, exactly. Of that, that's that's going to be it, isn't it? When <laughs> the first one retires, and they'll and be falling over themselves to tell the real story as well. I think mm. we're going to have a, a kind of glut of these mm. in, a, in a few years' I, I time. Think, I think it was Daniel Bretig, the, the excellent Australian writer on Crick Info, um, who proposed a kind of like a, an, an amnesty, almost like like you know, kind of opening the question up and 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 bringing back a, bring about a kind of international. Uh, kind of collective position on this because it is the the biggest open secret in the game and uh, and maybe he's saying this because he knows some Australian players closely but I can understand where he's coming from on that because it becomes ever more ludicrous that we 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 have to persist in this notion that the game is whiter than white and this is this is a a, a low grade thing and you know deep skullduggery well if it is then it's pretty pretty regular stuff. Um, anyway, Butch, what's your moment of the week? <laughs> My moment of the week um, is Stuart Broad digging out departed um, Chief Selector Ed Smith. Um, 
saying uh, something something along the lines of the communication was was awful, um, and that whilst Ed Smith was particularly successful, or overall had, had a successful tenure as um, as chief selector, uh, I think the quote was something along the lines of, "Well, every every employee has that uh, has that boss that doesn't that doesn't rate them," and Ed Smith was was clearly mine. Um, so lots of sort of veiled in uh, you know veiled not threats, but sort of inferences about, uh, about the, uh, the reasons why he and Ed Smith didn't get on particularly well. Going back, obviously, to, what was it, 2019, the first test in Barbados where he was left out there. He felt that that was, that was down to Smith. Um, also getting left out again against the West Indies at the Aegeus Bowl um, last summer, um, for which he famously ranted in the, uh, in the diary room, didn't he, on Sky, which was, which was great telly. Um, but I think, interesting. Interestingly, we've sort of spoken about this over the last couple of weeks. Um, and interestingly, I think Stuart Broad rather, if you read between the lines of the, uh, of the piece, I think it was Crick Info, wasn't it, but the, the interview came out on. Um, he's letting you know that the players have kind of decided that they didn't fancy <laughs> Smith very much. And that might be as much as anything the reason why he doesn't have the job anymore. Um, again, why, why the job itself has disappeared, I don't know. But... Um, you know, the players have ended up getting their way, I think. I thought what was interesting is Board referenced two instances uh, where he was left out the 11, not a squad. And I thought that the selector picked the squad and then captain coach picked the 11. Is that is that wrong? Well, no, but, well, I think this is it's open to interpretation. And that was interesting because Broad has deliberately let the cat out of the bag there that Smith made those calls. It was a, it was a classic Broad sort well, if, of tour de force because if everything, indeed, was, did everything was very, in theory, kind of considered and measured and reasonable. But under it, you've got all this stuff that... The line, I think, we see cricket very differently. So I, Stuart Broad, with 500 test wickets, see cricket very differently to Ed Smith <laughs> with three test caps. It's like it, it's it's just it's brilliantly done and it's uh, hugely enjoyable. I think we'll see a few more because he's obviously off the leash now. What he's got nothing to lose. He's he's in the twilight of his career uh, and he's going to say it how he sees it. But what what are you what are you getting your dad for Father's Day? What <laughs> lovely question. <laughs> now, well, now probably. Um, I hadn't even thought. When does that happen? In about a month's time. Oh, well, there and, you go. And well, we've got... Oh, the, what are you going. asking me now oh. for? And, You're and thinking and maybe, and maybe some sort of subscription to a great magazine. Well, well, we'll get to the magazine later. But if you're... If you're you know, like Butch, you're not sure what to get your dad for Father's Day. <laughs> At the moment, we've, we, we've got the best destination for dads who love cricket. As we mentioned before on the show, we've recently launched a Wisden shop, which you can find at wisden.com forward slash shop. There's loads in there. We've got these beautiful prints of some of the UK's most loved cricket grounds. We've got film posters commemorating Over the my two. Shoulder, if you're on YouTube. Yes, the, the two Headingley miracles, the, the mind, the windows moment. We've got hoodies, umbrellas, books, drinks, absolutely loads. We're running a competition in the run-up to Father's Day, which is fast approaching, where we've asked our social media followers to tell us why their dad is the best cricket dad in the UK in 240 characters or fewer. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll share a link to the original post in the reply to the tweet of this podcast for you to enter. The winner gets a, a £100 voucher in our shop. Um, so head to the head to the shop. Head to our. T- you, t- you still got the still got the ale and the uh, and oh, the yeah. rye whiskey. Oh, and yeah. stuff. So I All mean, it's that. not just mugs and and you know stuff for the wall. There's 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 proper Real imbibing stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's proper stuff for dads. Uh, anyway, the, the county championship. Um, hey. There were a couple of really good final day wins for Essex and Durham, both battling not just their opposition 
but the impending rainfall. Um, this, this guy called Simon Harmer took nine for 80. Dan Lawrence hit an unbeaten 150, which included some amazing shots. That was against Derbyshire. Durham beat Worcestershire the first time Worcestershire haven't drawn a game in 2021. Chris Rushworth, this is my moment of the week, by the way, he took nine wickets in the game, which means he is now the man with more first-class wickets for Durham than anyone else overtaking his former opening bowling partner, Graham Onions. I really liked it because he it, it was really clear how much it meant to him he got very emotional uh, not just when he took the wicket to break the record but also after the game where he where he um, embraced his, his dad who was watching um, and it's just nice to see how much it meant to him it's a great story too released in the county at 19 didn't break into the first class side until he's 23 and for the last 10 years or so he's been the mo- one of the most prolific um, wicket takers in the country so that was that was lovely um, Hampshire beat Middlesex in a low scoring game at Lords um, and rain around the country meant there were draws between Surrey and Somerset Kent and Sussex and Glamorgan and Yorkshire. That last game, by the way, was on Sky. And I really enjoyed watching Kieran Carlson bat, who uh, turned 23 this week and he's got more half centuries than anyone else this season. He looked really, really good. Um, and he was, he's an interesting story. He scored a first class 100, he was 18. He had a good blast season when he was 19 or 20, um, but really struggled over the last couple of seasons. And he looks brilliant on a, on a pitch that was doing a lot. It was seeming a lot against a really good Yorkshire attack. No one with express pace, granted, but um, lots of lots of bowlers who basically hoover, hoover up in, in county cricket. And he looked really good. I think he scored a unbeaten 88 um, off about 80 balls. Um, when, Is he a Glamorgan yeah. boy? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Is, yeah. he went to the same Impish school as good. Gareth Bale and Sam Warburton. I'm pretty sure I'm saying. I can't remember the name of the school. Would be more impressed yeah. if I could. But you can look <laughs> that still, one up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's, he's he's one to keep an eye out on. Um, elsewhere in the county game, Harry Gurney announced his retirement from the game this week at the age of 34, owing to a shoulder injury. He hasn't played um, any form of cricket since December 2019. Uh, one of the best white ball bowlers in the country. Gurney made 12 appearances for England all in 2014 and played in leagues all over the world, including the IPL. Um, yeah, just a, a brilliant white ball Top bowler. man, has her as well. Really good, good fellow. And obviously he's got the, got the hospitality and pub business and whatever. So wish him well when all that stuff opens back up again. But top lad, Harry Gurney. Absolutely. Really good. Absolutely. Um, and some news about the 100. Um, a host of overseas players are expected to withdraw from the, from the competition this year due to clashes. Uh, with the international calendar and complications around travel because of COVID restrictions. Seven Australian men's players have already been named in a squad that clashes with a lot of the tournament. The participation of Pakistani and West Indian players is also in doubt. In the women's competition, Rachel Haynes and Jess Jonathan have already pulled out of the women's competition. Um, jinxed. um, I can't remember who it was, but someone on Twitter had a look at how many of the overseas players could be missing and it it's possible that half of the players in the men competition don't don't so do do you think does that mean that they're going to sort of go back into the draft and try and find what's left or are certain um you know english players who have found themselves playing the the dinky do nonsense laundromat uh, tournament going to find themselves getting a hundred gig i think that i think they'll be looking to replace those overseas players um there are still a few countries where um their players will be available the, the, the complication is COVID stuff, is, is quarantine, etc. How, yeah. how much notice do those people need before they come into the country? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. And then and we've got another question on the 100, actually. Jamie Burkamp asks, with team-specific DJs announced the 100, how furious is Butch at not getting the call to be the Oval Invincibles <laughs> house band? Yeah, I mean, quite a good gig, actually. Some of these new stands and stuff. I just, I don't know if I'd be able to fit it in. Mm. We're all, you know, 
having to do this, for example, takes up so much, <laughs> you can't so much of my time. <laughs> um, elsewhere, Cricket South have announced that AB de Villiers will not come out of international retirement this year ahead of the T20 World Cup. Their statement read, discussions with AB de Villiers have concluded with the batsman deciding once and for all that his retirement will remain final, which is quite a dramatic wording. I thought um, that's, that's a great shame. 37 years old, but he's still tearing it up in the IPL. His IPL record in recent years is still ridiculous. Averages over 40, strike rate of about 150. Um, yeah, obviously not only a loss to Safka, but the tournament. Um, and ESPN Kukinfo are reporting that India Women's Tour of Australia later this year will include a test match, which will be their first test match down under since 2006. Joe, there's a new magazine out this week. What's in it? Yes, well, the cover feature is, we've referred to it in, in the last couple of shows, um, it is 30 years since Graham Gooch's masterpiece against West Indies at Headingley. So we use this as the basis to speak to 10 of England's greatest run makers, including Gooch himself, about the time they batted better than any other. So that's not necessarily just their famous Ashes 100, although it could be. This is the time where it all clicked into place. Uh, and uh, each of these batsmen has, has talked us through that innings, given the backstory, how it was possible. Some came from nowhere. Some had quite a, a long build-up. So we've spoken to people like David Gower, Alan Lamb, Charlotte Edwards, Heather Knight. Help me out, Phil. We tried to speak to him, but he wasn't asked. Actually, does That's true. Else. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> yeah. what... He, he <laughs> does have something else in the magazine. <laughs> Rob, Robin Smith. Um, and... Uh, some, yeah, some, there's some great stories in there. I mean, I, I spoke to David Gow for his... Uh, Which is the winner, I think. What, Gow, so what, 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 what innings was, 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 did Gower pick? So Gower refers back to the tour that, that, um, that we talk, talked about, um, with, uh, Gooch referred to, in when Canning Barrington very sadly died in the middle of that tour. 81 series, yeah? Yeah, 81. Yeah. And Gower had basically felt he was in very good nick against a good attack but had got lots of starts but hadn't got a big score. It came to the final test at Jamaica and he was really pissed off of himself. He'd got out to Viv when he was on 40-odd earlier in the test early in the test series. So he said this was the only innings where he actually physically talked to himself through the innings to, to actually get himself to focus. I mean, it's kind of... This was a dead <laughs> rubber. It's so gallant, isn't it? Oh, come on, dear boy. Oh. <laughs> come on, Dave. But it, I mean, it's quite. I thought it was quite interesting. A lot of these England batsmen pick out centuries and games where they lost, which you might say is just because England lost quite a few, lose a few test, yeah. <laughs> test matches. But this is quite interesting because it is a dead rubber, essentially. But for Gower, he, he, he describes it as a moment of personal triumph in a tour where he really should have done better. But I thought my favourite quote of it when he was referring to kind of talking himself through the innings and his determination to stick around was, uh, you could argue this should have been my approach for the other 200 plus innings I played in test cricket. We didn't quite get the same care and attention. There is a parallel though um, with Heather, Heather Knight and Charlotte Edwards both picked innings where they did something unusual, where they played outside of themselves a little bit. And, and, and Gower's innings bucks the, the cliche, inverts the cliche of, her, of how he yeah. played. And it's the same with Heather and with Charlotte as well. And it's interesting when you go to these individuals and, and it's, it's these innings where they surprise themselves that I think stay with them more pertinently than others. You know, Mark, Mark, some... Mark Ramkash is interesting as well. That yeah. was what does he, what does he say? Which he, picked, he picked out um, Middlesex under 25s against Leicestershire under 25s from 1987 when he was still a teenager. He scored 152 in no time at all. 
But his was all about going out there as a young player, having no fear, no inhibitions, and just playing on instinct. Mm. And he talks about... Cap on, no helmet. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about how over the course of his career, those those inhibitions start to affect the way you play. Mm. Obviously, in county cricket, it didn't stop him scoring a heap, heap of runs. But given what we know about Ramses' test career as well, it, it felt very poignant that he t- he picked out this innings where he just let it flow. He just mm. could be himself. Uh, and we know that, that that very rarely happened for, for England, unfortunately. And it, he only really, I think he said, kind of discovered that later in his career, post-Strictly, when he just scored mountains of runs for yeah. Surrey. Kept year averaging after 100. Year. Yeah. Averaged yeah. over 100 twice in a full first-class season. Th- this Gower thing is, re- is really, really interesting to me. I, remember I interviewed um, David, but I mean, obviously, my absolute hero as a kid growing up. Interviewed him at Lords and I rebuked him a little bit for kind of like, for... for, for for continuing the myth of, um, you know, the, the champagne swilling, not really all that bothered, sort of, um, you know, uh, upper-class um, lord cricketer type thing. And saying, well, you must have, you know, come on, you, you didn't score that many runs without, you know, without actually doing a little bit of practice, without caring a little bit, you know, type of thing. And he, he wouldn't be drawn on that. But that, the interesting thing about what, about what he's saying there is that, I don't know, there's this sort of classism thing that goes right, we're, talk, we're sort of looking into the history of all sorts of things at the moment in terms of um, class and in terms of where cricket started and how it, the game came up as, you know, landowners, etc. Um, would be the batsmen and, the, and the, the blokes working on the farms would be the bowlers type thing. And this idea that is perpetuated, particularly in England, um, that it's not cool to kind of look like you're that bothered. You know, the idea that you would actually practice, and, and this goes into the, the workplace as well, you know, in the city or whatever, you know, the idea that you would actually, you would actually look as though that this thing was causing you some sort of, um, some sort of mental torpor is absolutely a no-no. Um, and, and that is the essence of Gower, really, isn't it? The, he kind of made everybody, the club players and kids at school or whatever, you would all wander out there like you did not give a crap. And it was kind of, and that's kind of English sport, in many ways, particularly cricket. The Gooches and stuff are complete and utter outliers, guys who would sweat and toil and, and be, you know, desperate for every single run and make it look like they were hungry. Everybody else is trying to look like they do not care. And, that, and that's partly David Gower's fault. And wonderful that he admits it in print. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Just on Ramrikash, I remember, Phil, when you were on um, the, the BBC radio stream for the, for the Surrey game, you were talking about Ramrikash with, with Mark Church. I looked up some stats that day and in an eight season period between 2003 and 2010, Ramakash averaged 78 in first class cricket, 13,000 runs, 5,300s in an eight year period. He was when did he play his last test? 2002? Uh, oh, well, yeah, one or two. So yeah. he played 01 because he got 100 yeah. here, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he was on the, on the New Zealand tour 2002, the, yeah. the yeah. Ben Holyoke tour. That's right. So that might have been, that that might have been his last test. So yeah. from, from that moment onwards... And then post Strictly, which is what, 2007? Yeah. They, they should have a filter in Stats Guru, um, post Strictly. <laughs> post Strictly. It applies to a few. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember um, batting with him in that, in that period of time and just thinking, I've never seen anything like this. You know, obviously, but, well, just, it just, there was an inevitability about the runs that he was going to make. And sometimes he'd make them in a really sort of carefree an aggressive fashion as well. It wasn't simply, I'm going to go out there, get my head down and grind them out. Sometimes he'd obliterate attacks as yeah. well while he was doing it. It was just batting on another, another plane. Now, in that period of time, I, had, you know, I was doing all right. So I was playing pretty, pretty well, as well as, as well as I think I ever did 
as a county player in terms of consistency and whatever, couldn't touch him, couldn't lace his boots. Um, what, extraordinary, what, absolutely extraordinary. Why, why one day would he go out there and, and blaze away and another day? I don't play? know. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. Because he, it, there's just no, you couldn't ever fathom Mark Rambakash on right. the cricket field. Right. You know, some days he'd, he'd be, you know, very, very good. Some days he'd be worried about the bowlers that he was going to be facing on day, outwardly sort of like worried and nervous. And then he'd walk out and hit his first ball back over the bowlers ever six type mm. thing. He'd be like, I don't know what Matt, is happening here. <laughs> Matt Thacker picked up on... Matt Thacker's worked at the Oval for a hundred years and he's, he watched a lot of ramps and he picked up something that Ram Prakash used to do to the, the, uh, the one over of spin before lunch thing. Ram Prakash would go, go out there and, and, and run down the pitch invariably and, and, and slap him somewhere. And Matt observed this over a period of years and sort of asked him about it. He said, don't you dare tell anybody. Don't you dare. It's one of my secrets. How do you know? How do you bloody know? <laughs> or he didn't talk to him for another two years. Just the paranoia, you see. Yeah. The, the yeah. beauty of, of Rams. But man, he was good. Yeah. Um, Joe, the County Files has been a great addition to the magazine in recent editions. Another great one here. Um, I picked out two of my favourites. Uh, one of them was definitely written by you. Tilan Wilalawita, who is a young spinner at Middlesex. Yeah, I spoke to him uh, a month or so ago, actually. He had just got injured. He had a hamstring injury at the start of the season. So I was really pleased to see him on the telly making his championship debut against Gloucestershire. He was one of the the, the kids that got a chance in the Bob Willis Trophy last year. Probably wouldn't have played last year if it wasn't for the fact that others weren't available. Uh, did really well, bowled very tidily. Middlesex think a lot of him. He uh, he came over from Sri Lanka as, uh, kind of, I think, 11 or 12 years old. Uh, and he actually hasn't got his visa yet, so he's technically playing as an overseas player for Middlesex, but they think that will all be sorted soon and he can play as a UK qualifier player. But he's got an interesting backstory in that he was caught up in the Boxing Day tsunami. Him, him and his family literally fled as as the waves were getting higher and higher. Uh, they were having a cup of tea in a cafe and his dad heard some noises outside, went out the front and saw these waves building and said, we've got to get out of here. And they, they literally ran, left their car, uh, came back the next day and there were bodies and rubbish everywhere. I mean, it was kind of a traumatic experience for a, for a young kids. Um, then he moved over to England uh, five or six years later. His dad played club cricket over here and he quickly got picked up by Middlesex and he's been with them ever since. So it's, it's an amazing story uh, and they think a lot of him and uh, he was lovely, lovely bloke to speak to. So uh, I wish him all the best and hopefully get a few more chances this year. Absolutely. So there's a, there's a little story on each of the 18 counties. Um, Phil, you, you did one of those, you did one on Essex and you'd, you were in the other room whilst he conducted this interview with Sam Cook and it just mm. sounded really fun. Yeah, it was. Um, it, well, it was, he's a lovely lad, articulate boy. He's also from my hometown as well. Um, he went to the Rough House School around the corner from mine, actually, although he insists it wasn't rough when he was there. Uh, and it, went, it was a conventional chat, although a sparky one, and then turned out that he's a he's a DJ. He's a house and drum and bass DJ. And suddenly the conversation took on a, a wholly more interesting uh, bent. You love it when you don't have to talk about cricket in your cricket oh, interviews, don't you? Basically, yes, that's please. your favourite bit. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, and and he's he doesn't make money from it just yet, but but he he, he turns the tables on uh, whenever he gets gets going and of an evening and. Um, He's looking at a potential second career when, once he's done uh, in that world. He's also uh, a damn fine bowler. I'm not sure if he's quite got the oh, the mythic ex- extra yard that you need. 
for the top top level, but he's he's going to take a lot of county wickets at the very least. He already has, and he's already he's twenty three, maybe just twenty four, and he's already been part of three either county championship or Bob Willis first class competition wins for Essex, um, and he's he's really good. I and, think, and as I think, think Phil pointed out in the piece, he's almost kind of usurped Jamie Porter over the last year or so as as, the, as their kind of go to seamer. Porter's record has tailed off a little bit, still very impressive. Whereas Cooks is right up there. I mean, he, I think his average is even better because he played a bit of uh, university's cricket, I think, yeah. uh, and didn't average particularly well in that. His Essex average alone is absolutely superb. Yeah, I think I think he's he's a more probing bowler on flat wickets, which you know, even though he doesn't bowl that quickly, you, that might be counterintuitive. But I don't think he relies that much on uh, movement in the air. I think he gets a lot of movement off the pitch. Um, I think he's a, he's a he's a really really good bowler. Um, Joe, what else is in the, in the magazine? Well, we've got the Chris Wokes interview that Phil did with Wokes in his uh, IPL bubble, uh, followed by quite a few text messages and another chat. Did he speak to him again, or you were just yeah? yeah. So I think that was quite, that was quite a, a long, long drawn out it was, interview. It was now, like but, a counselling session by the end. Of yeah, it. but no, it's come out really nicely. And, and Wokes is he's oh, thank you, Joe. He's an absolute. I would obviously wouldn't say it to your actual face. No, I only no, say it on sure. the podcast. Sure. Um, but Wokes is obviously smashing bloke, um, and. Uh, Phil's got good good rapport with him. Obviously, had to bring up his snooker game from <laughs> actually. Have to K- kicked up. it off, didn't I? Kicked it you off. Did. With, the, with the story of my snooker game with him. About you also eight eight years ago. The, the way you talked about um, that you could just see Wokes playing snooker and just understand immediately that he's an elite sportsman. And then you mentioned that he only just nicked it on the pink to, well, to beat you, <laughs> as though two elite sportsmen up against each other. I debated putting a line through that line, but um, but we we left but, it. In. We, we wouldn't have spoken for weeks if you'd done that. <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, and there's the the columnists are in are in great form. Andrew Miller mm, um, did a piece on the European football's European Super League, uh, saying he'd saw hallmarks of of cricket in the uh, botched proposal, uh, referencing the hundred and and the kind of disregarding of legacy fans, uh, the reduction of the World Cup to ten teams. Um, and the big three, which we are told doesn't exist anymore, but does seem to. Uh, there are quite a lot of uh, resemblances there, and Andrew Miller's uh, expertly kind of picked them out. Lizzie Ammon says uh, this is a chance for the T20 Blast to kind of reaffirm its status as, as, a, as a proper T20 competition in its own right. It's got a, albeit quite narrow window, but it is the only show in town for a while. Um, it will be on telly. Uh, it's not all about the hundred. Uh, and I think county fans are going to be getting behind it uh, more vociferously than ever, particularly because the hundred is around the corner. Yeah, and I think they have. Interestingly, they have been the last two or three years anyway. Yeah. There's been a there's been a huge uh, apparent uptake. I know that I've not done the stats on it, but I've worked on a lot of the games, and the and the crowds seem to be building year on year. So I think you're right. I think there's going to be a there will be a, a swing back. Uh, because of the the impending hundred, and that there'll be uh, the plenty of people the coming. Sales this year have been great. Yeah, well. good, really, really good. good. I'm pleased. Just need this rain to yeah. to stop in time, but hopefully it's getting it all out of its system. Apparently now. does. Apparently does. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a tweet oh, yeah, this morning. Can, you are our resident meteorologist, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> well, it is interesting. Like, the weather it's recently obsessed. has been really bad, and I wanted to see good news related to the weather. So I looked on Twitter, and apparently by the end of the month, it's going to be really good. Lovely, well, there you so go. You, you heard it here first. first. You heard it here first. Um, and also, just going through the, the contents page, um, the My Favourite Spell will be of interest to Butch. What was it? Gary Butcher's 4 and 4. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot. Sorry, this is the problem. It goes to print and it immediately leaves my head. So that was Matt Thacker, who Phil referred to before, who we should say he's our boss. He's the managing editor of Wisdom Cricket Monthly. He he was picking out his favourite spell. It's more indicative of he was very much involved in Surrey at that time, doing the, the kind of the, the club magazine. Uh, and I think it's fair to say Surrey weren't universally loved on the county circuit. And, and the piece is really that Matt couldn't really understand why, other than the fact they won all the time, because he loved seeing this team, which was almost like a, he could describe it almost like a club side in some ways, and that they enjoyed each other's success. I think had a few drinks possibly off the off the pitch. Never. Uh, and this is yeah, Gary Butcher, Mark's Mark's brother, who took four wickets in four balls against Derbyshire. Um, as Matt points out, not the strongest four batsmen. Uh, I think he said. I think Rob Bailey was one of them. In that, LBW. I'm not not sure in that four because he took five in that inning. Oh, so maybe I think that wasn't in. Maybe the, that wasn't in the in four. The four. So Maybe think, he opened the door with Rob Bailey and then knocked over the other. <laughs> I think I think Tim Bun- Tim Munton was batting at nine. I think Matt said possibly four places too high. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's that's nice. That's a nice one. Excellent. As always, you can get the magazine uh, at wisdom.com forward slash shop. Um, that is all for today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Butch. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you've liked what you've listened to or watched, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and we'll be back next week. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.